Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. How great are the security challenges facing critical national infrastructure? And how wide should we cast the net when deciding which services and which firms make up the CNI landscape? Security experts have tracked growing threats to critical national infrastructure over a number of years, from large-scale attacks by nation-state actors to ransomware gangs targeting areas from energy to healthcare. And, as we've seen in Ukraine, attacks on energy systems pose the greatest threats to societies and to economies. Without power, and especially without electrical power, much of our modern infrastructure simply can't function. And that includes the internet and everything that depends on it. Our guest this week is an expert in protecting national infrastructure, but also with a long background in law enforcement, as well as a career in incident response consulting. John Moran is now Technical Director at Tufin and keeps a close watch on both what firms need to do to secure their networks, as well as monitoring the external threats. He started by explaining how he works with firms in the CNI space and the challenges they currently face. I come from a, uh, a security background. I come from a, a, a law enforcement and an incident response background. And I think anybody who's worked in that field, I think understands the, the criticality of critical infrastructure, right? And uh, and the seriousness of, uh, of a potential attack on critical infrastructure and uh, and how important that is and, and how vulnerable uh, our critical infrastructure is and uh you know here at Tufin, i mean you know we certainly work with um a, a number of, of different critical infrastructure partners we we are not uh typically vertically focused right our, our customers tend to be uh not anyone vertical but they tend to be customers who are very large who have uh very hybrid very heterogeneous very complex networks and of course you know that describes uh, you know a lot of different verticals but it definitely describes critical infrastructure they, they come to us quite frequently and and um and, and you know say you know hey you know we, we've got these challenges uh you know trying to uh obviously secure our networks but you know also trying to figure out um you know what's 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 out there right um you know how do we get the visibility into our network to to even identify the risks that are out there to to prioritize what we need to do uh and uh, you know obviously with the uh, you know some of the new regulations uh that are out there that have been passed over the, the last several years a lot of our customers in critical infrastructure are coming to us and saying, hey, you know, we need help, um, you know, kind of sorting through those and, and figuring out, okay, how do we take these new regulations and and actually, um, you know, actually implement these and, and actually turn these regulations into, um, you know, a- actual security, right? You know, how do, how do we make these actually something that is, uh, you know, doing a, you know, uh, that is actually having a positive impact on on our security posture. With everything that's going on uh, in the world, uh, you know, especially over in in Ukraine, 
Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's an incredibly complex and an incredibly uh, dangerous time. You know, uh, I think it was bad um, before everything started uh, happening in Ukraine, and and I think it's uh, you know I think it's certainly worse now uh, than than it was. Um, you know, I think we been lucky quite frankly that uh things haven't uh been worse that we haven't seen any sort of major attacks um that, that have impacted you know outside of of that region um uh at least you know none that we've seen sort of publicly that have had uh you know sort of mass uh impact um but i think it's uh it's an incredibly you know incredibly dangerous uh, sort of tumultuous time for critical infrastructure. And, I, you know, I think it's great that, uh, you know, people are finally paying attention. Like I said, you know, we've seen a number of, of regulations come out uh, within the past year or so. You know, the, the UK uh, Telecommunications Security Act that was just passed that they're sort of looking to be rolling out over the next several years, I think, is an example of, you know, government taking some uh, good proactive steps and trying to address critical infrastructure security. Um, and, and I hope to see sort of, uh, you know, more of that, uh, because I think we are in a, in a dangerous time. I think people are finally starting to, to, to realize that. Where in your analysis are the most threats coming from? What is the greatest source of risk? So, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, of regions, um, you know, I think, uh, as has been the case for, for a number of years, I think, you know, the, uh, you know, Eastern Europe and Asia it tends to be sort of, um, you know, probably the the largest area of, of risk. I think that was probably true, you know, before uh, everything that was going on in Ukraine. And, and it's uh, certainly true now. Um, you tend to see a lot of, uh, you know, both uh, sort of, you know, homegrown groups, uh, if you will, as well as uh, state-sponsored or sort of quasi-state-sponsored groups in the, uh, you know, Eastern Europe and, and uh, Asian areas out there. Uh, so, you know, that is certainly uh, a, an area of concern. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, of targets and industries, um, you know, energy, I, I think, is uh, probably... For me, one of the the most concerning in in critical infrastructure, uh, because you know it. I, I think uh, from a, a public perspective, from a um, uh, you know impact on on society, I think that has potential to uh, to have you know the, the greatest damage, uh, both short term and and long term, right? Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a nation state or, uh, you know, a, a, uh, you know, a sort of hacktivist group, uh, you know, really at the end of the day, their, their goal is, is sort of terror, right? It's a, it's a terrorist type attack. And, uh, you know, an attack on the electrical grid, I think, is certainly probably one of the most effective at, uh, at generating terror. Um, but there are certainly others, uh, you know, obviously from a uh, financial perspective, uh, you know, communications, uh, so, you know, telephone, um, you know, internet, uh, those sort of attacks uh, could have a, a tremendous financial impact globally. And then, you know, you have other critical infrastructure targets, uh, you know, water and, and things like that, uh, which could, uh, you know, may not be 
necessarily in the the top one or two, but are, are definitely in the top five and, and could definitely uh, have a you know a serious impact to you know uh, health and safety. And when you look at energy and particularly the electrical supply system, then so many other systems depend on that. So internet infrastructure, telecoms infrastructure, banking infrastructure, none of that can really work without power. Is that why threat actors are targeting that sector or there is a concern that threat actors will target that sector? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think you get uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck, uh, you know, certainly in the uh, in the energy infrastructure. And, um, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I think is true in uh, probably in a large portion of the critical infrastructure, but uh, perhaps is more true in, in energy than some other areas is that there tends to be a lot of, um, you know, legacy OT type technology, um, which, you know, can be uh, more prone to attack. Um, so that that can be sometimes more of an attractive target to attackers as well, uh, which which can be, um, you know, more of a challenge to secure and uh, can make it a little bit, a uh, little bit softer target for a uh, for an attacker. So are institutions, companies in that sector and governments, regulators doing enough to protect that infrastructure and to educate the people in that ecosystem about the need to, say, harden their systems? I think we're starting to. You know, I think that, um, you know, like I said, some of the regulations we're starting to see come out, uh, you know, I think are are good steps in the right direction. you know, regulations to me are, you know, it's always kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Um, you know, it's, uh, regulations can be um, very effective. They can be very ineffective. I think regulations that uh, are very prescriptive tend not to be very effective, right? You, you can be very compliant, but still not very secure when you end up with very prescriptive regulations. Uh, regulations that are, are very outcome focused, on the other hand, uh, tend to be much more effective at achieving their goals. Now, they're, they're, they're more difficult to uh, to assess compliance against and things like that. So, uh, you know, they are more, um, more challenging to write and they're more challenging to enforce and things like that. But it uh, outcome-based regulations, I think, are much more effective at, uh, at at achieving our goals. So I think we need to be better at, at coming up with, you know, sort of more outcome-based regulations. And I think, you know, as governments, we, we need to move beyond just regulating. We, you know, governments need to become better partners in security and especially around uh you know critical infrastructure security and you know what what i mean by that is um you know not not just regulatory bodies but uh you know working with private industry providing research providing analysis providing research training intelligence those sort of things you know Providing resources, uh, you know, even incentivizing security through, you know, grants and partnerships, those sort of things. Um, really sort of the, you know, the carrot and the stick, right? You know, we, you know, we, we're going to put regulations in place because, you know, I mean, there, there's unfortunately sometimes needs to be a, a forcing function, right? To, to make sure that, uh, you know, we are, 
achieving some sort of baseline level of security. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, enterprises, you know, especially critical infrastructure organizations, they, they don't want to be insecure. They don't want to be breached, right? Uh, so we also need to be, as a, as a government, you know, better partner in security and, and be enablers to, to help those critical infrastructure organizations be more secure and and provide better resources, provide better uh, better partnerships. What about though the question of incident response and are organizations in this sector sufficiently practiced and ready to respond for when something does go wrong because inevitably at some point an attack will be successful? I think that's somewhere you've been looking at. That's an area you've been researching in terms of, you know, how we create a more resilient organization that can not just potentially deter and prevent attacks, but if an attack does get through, you know, resume normal activities as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, over the past, uh, you know, I would say, you know, decade or so, we, we've become much better at, at, preparing for an incident in that, you know, we've, we've got incident response plans, right? We do tabletop exercises. Um, you know, we have, you know, software that's, you know, specifically designed to, you know, how us respond to incidents, things like that. Uh, so, you know, I think we've done a lot better at, at preparing. Um, one place that I, I think that we still, um, we still fall a little bit short is um is preparing with information right is having the information that we need to respond to an incident and you know when i say that you know people say well you know no i mean i've got i mean i've got information everywhere right <laughs> i'm not short on information and and that's true right and and it, it's probably uh, you know, so true that we've got too much information, right? Uh, we're, we're not short on information. We've got security tools. We've got IT tools everywhere, right? Uh, but the, the challenge is, is that we've got so much information and so little context that when you have a security incident, it's, it's so hard to, to take all that information that you have in your enterprise, right? You get your asset databases, you've got your, your network flow logs, you've got your, you know, the network topology data, you've got your CMDB, right? All of this stuff. And, and you, you go to respond to a security incident and it's like, okay, I've got, I've got all this stuff. Maybe some of it's out of date. Uh, others is, is you know terabytes of data right and i you know how do i how do i go through all of this in a timely manner to you know and get something actionable out of it to respond to this incident right and by the time i do you know they, they, there's another you know they've they've pivoted and and they're you know inside of you know my my you know data center or they're, you know, they've, they've shut down some sort of critical infrastructure. Right. Um, so that's really where, um, where I see that we're still falling a little bit short in, in preparedness is being prepared with the data that we need to respond to an incident, having that, that context sort of readily available, the understanding of our network, our assets, you know, especially our critical assets, where are our risks and having that sort of context, like, you know, immediately available. Like I, I know where to get it. 
um, because that's what's really, you know, like you said, an incident, you know, at the end of the day is probably going to happen. Right. And it's, uh, it, it's having that context available to you right away. That's going to help you respond to that incident immediately and mitigate that as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Do we need to tailor that information? Do we need to tailor incident response plans to particular industries? Is it different in CNI to non-regulated firms, non-critical infrastructure firms? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it's it's different even, you know, per, per organization, right? You know, I think... Um, you know, I mean, I think of it like, you know, this is internal threat intelligence, right? You know, if you look at the, you know, the sort of the external threat intelligence industry, um, you know, if you go back 10 years, uh, the threat intelligence that uh, was out there was just, I mean, it was just threat intelligence, right? There, there was no sort of, you know, it wasn't tailored. It was just, this is threat intelligence, right? Here's here's all the all the hash addresses there, the, you know, all the, the hash values of all the bad things we've ever seen, right? And you, you'd end up with, uh, you know, 50 million hash addresses and, and people would get this stuff and they'd realize like, this is of no value to me because, you know, half of this stuff is is targeting something that, you know, is completely irrelevant to me, right? And and they started to realize, okay, I'm in the financial sector. I need threat intelligence that is specific to the financial sector, right? Or, you know, I'm in critical infrastructure. I need, uh, you know, a threat feed. I need threat intelligence. I need somebody who's going to give me information on what's going on, what is relevant, who is attacking people in, you know, the, the energy sector, right? And the same is true when, when you think about this context as internal threat intelligence. This is internal. This is internal intelligence, right? It needs to be relevant to your enterprise, your organization, right? So there's no sort of, you know, single tool or, or single way to, to look at it. You've got to design, you know, this. You've got to design your context the way that you need it, the way that's relevant to your enterprise with the information, with the tools, with the technologies, the the critical assets that you have in your in your network. And how big a challenge is it then to keep up with the fact that systems are much more connected in this sector than perhaps they were when they were designed? And we are seeing also the requirement and imperative to make use of technologies such as the Internet of Things for better monitoring of networks, more sensors, more visibility into what the system is doing in, in normal business as usual terms, but potentially creating additional security risks, greater exposure, attack surface, if you like, because of that. So those systems are going in for necessary purposes, you know, reduce maintenance, for example, uh, have a quicker response if there's a failure, an outage. But at the same time, if they're not adequately secured, we're creating another problem we need to resolve it's incredibly challenging right you know it's it's a necessity that you know i mean this is you know what i mean this sort of hyper connected uh you know cloud first world that we live in now has uh, you know enabled things that we could imagine 10 years ago but it's it's certainly presented a whole slew of, of security challenges that we didn't anticipate 10 years ago either so yeah you know it's it's incredibly challenging to to keep up and and to have that context be uh be relevant that that intelligence be 
relevant. You know, I talked about earlier, you know, kind of having to refer to like, you know, spreadsheets when I was doing incident response, you know, 10 years ago. Right. And I mean, you can't, that like, that just doesn't work anymore. Right. Because, uh, you know, I mean, back when I was doing incident response 10 years ago, that, that spreadsheet may have been out of date in a month right now. I mean, that spreadsheet's out of date in, in five minutes. Right. Because I mean, you're, you know, your DevOps team is, you know, spinning up new applications in the cloud and, and spinning them down and, and, you know, five or six times before security is even aware that it's happened. Right. Um, so there, there's gotta be automation involved in, in gathering this, this context, gathering this, intelligence they're just you know there has to be some sort of you know network automation involved and um and and automation involved in collecting and and correlating this information right it's just not something that can scale uh as a as a manual process uh when, when we are uh in such a dynamic network uh, environment there's just there's no way to do it without some level of, uh, of of automated processes. But can we draw any assurances? Can we draw any comfort from the situation in the Ukraine where as yet we haven't seen large-scale, successful at least, and avowed attacks on critical infrastructure? And in fact, we've seen the Russian forces expending you know, large quantities of precision weapons in their campaign against particularly the energy infrastructure, whereas much of the talk over the last five years or so has been that these type of attacks would be in the cyber domain rather than in the kinetic domain. So is there a comfort to be drawn from that? Can we reassure ourselves that actually some of those security measures are effective and it's forcing adversaries to use other methods? Or is there a different agenda going on there? I think so. You know, the optimist in me would would like to think so. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I think right now in, in Ukraine, you know, you've certainly got some of the, the best technology and some of the best minds in the world helping protect uh, some of their infrastructure over there, which, you know, I think is is great to see. Um, you know, not just the, uh, you know, the, the governments and the militaries in the world sort of pitching in to help over there, but uh, also, you know, the, uh, the the security community pitching in to, to help over there, help protect their critical infrastructure. Uh, so the optimist in me would, would like to think that, uh, you know, that this is uh, a good sign that, you know, maybe we, we can sort of withstand some of that. Um, you know, I think there is, you know, sort of a, a flip side to that and, and, you know, not, not to bring up the pessimistic side, but, um, that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a cyber attack is, is something that, um, you know, certainly has value, but it, it takes time to execute, uh, for sure. You know, there's uh, a lot of planning involved. They're not always successful and a, a cyber attack on, uh, you know, critical infrastructure, um, you know, unless you do serious physical damage to the cyber attack, uh, the long-term value, the long-term destruction, it lasts only as long until they mitigate the cyber attack. Right. Whereas, you know, if you, launch a missile and and destroy that critical infrastructure uh the the long-term damage is 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 much greater right um where i think that uh you know cyber attacks in a situation like that where you're you know engaged in in all-out war 
Um, I, I think in those situations, a, a cyber attack provides much longer term value in uh, attacks against information, right? So attacks against government infrastructure, that sort of thing, where you, you might be able to get information about that sort of thing. Um, where I think, you know, attacks on critical infrastructure would perhaps provide them more value might be in uh, on uh, targets where maybe they're not in direct military conflict, but they'd like to perhaps, um, you know, sort of uh, erode support maybe, you know, for, uh, you know, countries in, in Europe or the U.S. where they might be looking to, uh, you know, erode support or, uh, you know, support of Ukraine, something like that, that might be, you know, where we might see sort of cyber attacks being used in lieu of, um, you know, physical attacks. So we might see that still in the gray zone in that area between declared military conflict as sort of a transitionary area of potential threat. I think it's certainly possible. I, yeah. I don't think they've put out any, uh, you know, any advisories or anything like that. And I certainly don't have any inside information. I, I don't think that's necessarily imminent. But but I think that, uh, you know, that would be a, a much more uh, relevant use of, of cyber attack on, on critical infrastructure, right? It's um, you know, it's much more efficient for, for Russia at this point to just uh, launch a missile at an energy facility in Ukraine, right, uh, if they want to do that. Uh, but they, they can't they can't do they can't launch a missile into into the UK and uh, knock out critical infrastructure without, uh, you know, much more um, uh, serious repercussions. Right. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, they could probably, uh, you know, potentially hack into critical infrastructure in the UK and uh, take something offline. And um, presumably, the uh, the response from the UK would probably not be as as immediate or severe uh, as it would be otherwise. I mean, I think we've seen this before being described as a sub-threshold type of conflict where potentially an adversary may use the cyber tools to send a warning to to others so it may be to affect morale and actually the fact that that attack isn't so enduring may not matter in that situation but we still need to guard against it because the impact can be significant certainly certainly it's it's a morale thing and it's a you know it's public support thing and you know that happens often enough and people start to go look you know what's going on in ukraine is horrible but uh, you know the that's going on over there and, and now it's starting to impact me over here and and uh, you know I, I just don't want to be involved in this anymore, right? And and that's you know that's ultimately what they're what they'd be looking to achieve. Um, so that's you know that that's what I it would concern me more with uh, you know with cyber attacks on critical infrastructure as it relates to that specific conflict in Ukraine. But coming back to the more general point, then clearly we exist within networks of networks, and one part of national infrastructure is inexorably linked to another as we as we mentioned earlier on uh, do you think that the primary driver of this needs to come from the companies within these sectors or is it more likely that that needs to be directed or at least coordinated by governments and regulators i i think it needs to be at some level coordinated by by governments and and regulators right to, you know at least to have a, a baseline level of security um you know both because you know i think we need to have uh, a you know a baseline a level of security that you know as a as a population we can be assured that 
you know there is some level of of acceptable security that's uh that's in place um uh, and also because you know it is i mean it is critical infrastructure right it, you know it is something that uh you know i mean it's it's, it's life it's safety it's health um and uh and you know quite frankly it's it's not something that uh we can play games with or or you know just kind of leave it up to to trust right there needs to be some level of of assurance and um you know i don't think there's any any perfect party to put that in the hands of uh quite frankly but um but i think there needs to be sort of one sort of you know central uh central authority that sets the you know the base standards for that and and i think that falls to the government but ultimately it will need to be a collective effort absolutely absolutely the government needs to own it somebody's got to own it right and and you know i think the government needs to own it but i think at the end of the day like i said it needs to be a a partnership a a collaboration It, it can't just be the government standing up and shouting down you know you will do this 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 and this right it, it you know it needs to be a partnership it needs to be uh, a collaboration how can we help you how can you do better john moran on the need for a baseline of security for critical infrastructure as well as the need for closer cooperation between industry and governments when it comes to protecting systems that are essential to safety and for the preservation of life That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll be exploring whether firms really know how good they are at cybersecurity and if benchmarking can help. Until then, you can, of course, catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.